everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome to a new week, the last week of January somehow. And thank you for coming back for another BLP Bulletin. We are excited to keep these going. And just as a reminder, we're about halfway through our second season of Athlete Interviews. So if you haven't listened to those four interviews we've done this season or gone back and listened to our first season of episodes, please go check them out. Let us know what you think. And for those of you who are new to the Big League Philanthropist, We regularly interview athletes and nonprofit execs about the awesome work they're doing in the community and using sport to change the world. Now we're bringing you a roundup of articles each week that we've been paying attention to in the world of sports philanthropy and athlete activism. And thank you for those of you who have reached out to us on social media or via email to to tell us how you've uh, enjoyed the first edition of BLP Bulletin and any of our interviews. Please continue to reach out to us. We love to hear from you and we would love to uh, keep your feedback in mind as we're creating new episodes. Um, And please, of course, let us know of any athletes we need to highlight on the podcast in an interview. So on to this week's bulletin. I wanted to actually first start by following up on a story from last week that actually had some traction after we recorded the bulletin. We talked about the many bills across the country that have been posed in state legislatures for uh, banning transgender athletes from playing sports um, unless it's based on the gender assigned to them at birth, on their birth certificate. Um, We talked about how all the uncertainty was there. Um, There's a lot of political divide, obviously, on the issue, and that transgender athletes and transgender activists in general were really hopeful that the Biden administration would keep their campaign promise and support transgender athletes playing sports, being using bathrooms, any of the, you know, transgender rights um, that have been restricted They want them back based on the gender identity they associate with now, not what's on their birth certificate. And Biden has actually already made strides to deliver on his campaign promise. We read an article from Huffington Post um, that mentioned that Biden did sign an executive order in his first day of office last week after inauguration that prohibits discrimination of transgendered uh, people based on their gender identity. It, it just prohibits discrimination based on gender identity in general, including in sports, bathroom, etc. Meaning if somebody wants to play soccer as a girl um, and her birth certificate says male, she can do that. Um, and it really actually leaves a lot of states in some uncertainty now um, because, number one, obviously there's a lot of backlash, but now opponents of these state bills are saying we could lose federal funding from a Biden administration for all of our education programs. We could lose business because public opinion might not support this. We might lose businesses coming into the state of Montana or into any of these other states that have bills. So again, something to really think about. It looks like Biden's taking the right step forward here. We'll see if he's able to really back this up. And if this does sway the tide of these bills, maybe not being brought to, you know, maybe either not being brought up or not being passed into law because of some of the economic considerations here. So I just wanted to keep everybody updated on that. Um, Again, something to follow, um, especially for uh, how it will affect sports. Um, Another story I wanted to highlight is that I'm sure all of you are aware on Friday, the great Hank Aaron passed away. Um, Hank Aaron was not only one of the best major league baseball players of all time, but he also was a huge activist and trailblazer. Um, off the field, off the off the diamond. And we read a great article from Fox 61, a local Connecticut station um, that talked about him not only as a baseball player, but as an activist and how he really continued the legacy of the civil rights movement. 
In April of 1974, he broke Babe Ruth's history making home run record, which had stood for 40 years. And he really showed people that, you know, again, the time was ripe for change and that we needed to break these barriers, break these glass ceilings. And he was quoted in an article at that time to say that a part of, you know, and here's the quote, a part of why I guess I broke Babe's record was the fact that a lot of people saw it couldn't be done. And a black person doing it is not something they wanted to see done. And I think that's important to highlight that He wasn't just a baseball icon, but he was a huge, huge person to push forward the civil rights movement, the legacy of the civil rights in America, and that he wasn't always the icon and superstar that we see him today. Again, we talk about this a lot. Being an activist was not always cool. Uh, Supporting civil rights, supporting social justice, that was not always in vogue. And it was not always an economic win for athletes. So Hank Aaron was really one of those trailblazers that put his name and platform out there on the line to support a movement um, that he didn't know was going to stand up for him or support him in any sort of way. He just wanted to see it move forward. Um, Braves player Chipper Jones was speaking to a couple of reporters and he was quoted to say, Jackie Robinson set the stage, but Hank took it to a whole nother level. So again, just remembering that Hank Aaron not only was a baseball superstar, but really an activist. And, you know, again, in addition to the amazing baseball player he was, um, we wanted to highlight his amazing accomplishments outside of baseball. So uh, we send prayers and thoughts to the family of Hank Aaron and, you know, just knowing that his legacy will live well beyond him. And uh, we should all be thankful for his work outside of baseball. Another story we wanted to feature was another history-making story in the world of women in sports and advancement. Um, This is from ESPN.com. Jennifer King has been promoted to a full-time offensive assistant with the Washington football team, which makes her the first black woman to be a full-time coach in the NFL. You may have heard of Jennifer King. She spent this past season as an intern working full-time with Randy Jordan, the Washington football team's running back coach. And she also worked with coach Ron Rivera, who is now at Washington football team for two years when he was with the Carolina Panthers. Um, She's worked with the Alliance of American Football um, for the Arizona Hotshots. She worked at Dartmouth College, and she's attended several coaching clinics with the NFL and the NFL's Women Career and Football Forum. So she's taken advantage of a lot of these programs, and now she's making history as the first black woman to be a full-time NFL coach. Um, And I think it's important to highlight all the barriers that women have been making in the past couple of years. Um, We know that Dr. Jen Walter was the first female NFL coach, um, and we're really, really excited to speak with her later this week on Time Out with Tackle What's Next. Um, But I think, you know, we also have the first female referee, Sarah Thomas, other NFL coaches like Christy Bartlett, strength and conditioning coach for the Titans, Chelsea Romero on the Rams, Kelsey Brownson on the Browns, and Megan McLaughlin for the Ravens, Chicago Bears, Robin Weekly. And we all know Katie Sowers made history last year when she was the first woman and openly gay coach to coach in the Super Bowl for... um, And we all remember, obviously, you know, just so many boundaries being broken with these ladies. So congrats again to all of these women. It's so wonderful to see so many women stepping into leadership roles um, with on the NFL side. And again, congrats to Jennifer King for her historic moment that was made last week. 
The next article we wanted to highlight was from the Sustainability Report and my friend Matthew Campelli. He wrote an article where he interviewed Amy Steele, an Australian international netball player, and the article was about how climate change really forced her to retire from sports. And when you think about that, that's that's such an, a, a new and a different thought, like how could climate change make you retire? But start to think about winter sports and the fact that the, the planet is warming and we're losing glaciers and it's, it's you know, we're losing cold weather um, places, snow is melting earlier. That could really affect a lot of winter sport athletes. So this is something we're going to start hearing about a lot more. Um, but Amy Steele's story is really about the flip side. Um, you know, she plays netball and, and played netball in Australia. And Matthew does a great job with the storytelling here. So I highly recommend reading the article um, and, and really going through her emotions and the events that happened that day. Um, but she was competing on a day of intense heat in Australia. She was outside all day signing autographs, meeting fans, preparing for the match, and the weather was 102 degrees Fahrenheit or 39 degrees Celsius. She suffered a huge, huge case of heat stroke. And even though now she's living a normal life, she couldn't even exercise marginally intensely for five years after the incident happened. So again, thinking about climate change, thinking about things getting hotter, you know, how is this going to affect sports? How do we mitigate climate risk for athletes? How do we do that? And if it's too hot, do we cancel an event? Is that something we're going to start seeing more of? And Steele told Matthew she might have done some things differently that day had she known what would happen. And she may have taken more precautions to protect herself. So athletes, another thing to add to the list with COVID, but another thing athletes need to start thinking about too is climate change. If you play outside, do you need to be thinking about, is it too hot? Am I going to get heat stroke? Um, we cancel sports, of course, as there's inclement weather, thunderstorms, hurricanes, you know, really severe weather. Um, but what if it's just really hot? And I wonder, you know, thinking about NFL practices, NFL games, um, other sports that play outside baseball, if it's too hot, are we going to see um, sports at the highest level start to be postponed or canceled because of temperature concerns? Um, and then for athletes to start thinking about, do I want to risk myself, my health, my my potentially my future for this match or for this game? So a great read. Um, thanks to Matthew Campelli for telling Amy Steele's story. And it just brought up a really interesting point to think about from the sustainability um, side of things. And if you don't follow the sustainability report, um, I highly recommend subscribing to their email list. They always send out some really great content about climate issues and their whole purpose is to cover the intersection of sport and environment. So definitely worth a read for both this article and to subscribe for other content that they put out. Um, and then finally, I just wanted to highlight an article from McGill College's student-run magazine, The Bull and the Bear. The article is by Ezra Maleko, and it's called How Athlete is Starting to Sound Like Activist. Um, in the article, Ezra highlights the sports world that's been protesting. He talks about how they sat out games after Jacob Blake's horrible shooting in August. He talks about the legacy of sports as a vehicle for change over time and how the worlds of sports and politics have always been intertwined, even if folks don't want them to be. Um, he goes back and references Tommy Smith, Dr. John Carlos, their protest in 1968 at the Olympics. He talks about Colin Kaepernick's well-known protest in 2014 when he kneeled during the national anthem. And I really love that he ended the article talking about the recent successes of the WNBA and their players' support of now Senator Warnock from Georgia. 
and Maya Moore's support for Jonathan Irons. She fought for him to be released from prison due to being convicted wrongly on faulty evidence and how the WNBA, excuse me, supported her in doing that. Um, Just as they have supported our friend Renee Montgomery and several other of their athletes in sitting out for social justice or for causes that matter to them. And Ezra also emphasizes that the public is so much more willing today to accept and back activism from their favorite athletes. So again, just a reminder of what we've always said is that activism may be really cool, may be really popular now, but hasn't been always that way. And so just another great reminder from Ezra that the days of stick to sports are over. All right. So those are my quick hits for BLB Bulletin uh, for this week, for the week of January 25th. I did not make in under 10 minutes, guys. I, I promise I'm going to keep working on it, but I think 12 minutes is, is pretty good. So I hope everyone has a really great week ahead. We will see you back here next week. Next week is February, February 1st, hard to believe. And we will be back here for another roundup of the latest news from the world of sports philanthropy and athlete activism. Thanks for listening.